So it poses the question, I think, could could that be the playbook here by Gina? If this is Gina, does she, does she actually want to find a partner in all of this? Um, so a partner more for downstream, like looking far into the... Yeah, yeah. if she wants to enter the lithium arena, you know, her expertise is, is hard rock mining, logistics, that sort of stuff, but there's also, like, there's a lot in the lithium value chain, and maybe that could be the ultimate angle yeah. here. There's one more quirk around equity research. It's a gripe. He's got a gripe. I think it's worth discussing. So a lot of people read these equity research reports and you naturally look straight at the price target. And then you go a bit deep and you see how did they come up with the valuation behind the price target? In some cases, you'll see they've done a 50-50 combination of NAV, net asset value, and an EV to EBITDA multiple mix. G'day, Money Miners. Thursday, 7th of September, where, uh, oh, we've been bloody, been chinwagging all day. She's a bit late today, but um, very valuable conversations. Yeah, I find that uh, as, as Need people, a fucking admin. As we're getting a bit more traction, more people are um, reaching out to us and we've just got less time and it's tough. I need some, I just, I just want my bandwidth back. Don't to, talk to Trav till after two o'clock. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I'm learning stuff and meeting wicked people. I just, I'm tired, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, what have we got on today? Oh, mate, what what have we got? We've got a bit of, uh, bit of line town. speculation yeah. out of uh, good old our friends at Straight Talk about uh, pure speculation about maybe someone coming in over the top of line for the line to Albemarle's line town bid. Yeah, I think it was a bit more than a bit more than street talk. Quite a few mm. people were chatting about this mm, one. We've also a got a bit of trading of, volume. A bit of sandfire news and then we're gonna have a bit of a chat about uranium because it's been making a bit of a few waves get over on the past of, couple of weeks. Get on a bit of the yellow cake. That's the way yeah, JD. We're, we're gonna look we're gonna look at um Two, two developers that are looking at entering, well, we're supposed to be looking at entering production at about the same point right around the corner. And, um, yeah, one's gone up and one's gone down year to date. So it'll be a nice, nice little uh, head-to-head on that one. Beauty. Right, uh, before we get into it, our partners, uh, JP Search Trap. Now, I know you love the. I reckon you love these blokes more than I love Langers and Bondi <laughs> and Rhino Sullivan. <laughs> Talk uh, about a little boutique recruitment company. I reckon you want to go into exactly what these fuckers do. <laughs> well, if I left you to explain it, no one would actually know what they do because you no. say they're good blokes. <laughs> they play good golf. Yeah, <laughs> they give people jobs, hit them up. <laughs> but, like, if, if you're in the finance world and you're, an, like, an analyst or an associate or you're looking to become one, like, these, these are the people to talk to. They, um, they typically have jobs at, you know, everything from the corporate advisory places, the investment banks, the family offices, corporate development gigs, the works. And on the flip side, if you're building out a corporate development team and you work for, you know, corporate, then you've got to speak to these guys in order to hire their analysts and associates to, to plug those they do, roles. They give you the team. Yeah, I mean, they can make the team for you. Yeah, I mean, like that—that's their niche, right? And they're the, the, the best ones at it. So, on either side of that equation, maybe get in touch with them. Exactly. Look, if you have trouble, get in touch to them. Touch with them. Just get in touch with me, and I'll forward you on. <laughs> so, and uh, I'll be happy to do so. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, our mates. At any time, Exploration Services, our foundation sponsor that we'll never forget, Seamus Murphy. Anything, people, equipment, drillers, bloody core cut and sampling for the exploration world. Right, boys, here we go. What's going on with the Lion Town trading volume? They were sitting at around 2 bucks 80 uh, about, what they say, about, uh, 
100 billion shares or so today got traded and most of it come from was about three big block trades at Euros Hartleys mm -hmm. and it's ticked up just above. It was sitting at about $3.2 to $3.3 in context of Albemarle's bid being at $3. Uh, mm. There's a lot of volume come in today and Euros declined to comment on who it was from. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we gave Not some commentary two days ago um, on the trading price of this in you know, a middle-live middle deal and two days ago our comments were – um, that we said the the fact it was trading at that you know between two seventy five to eighty five mark that it was reflecting the the potential of deal completion risk because it was still subject to, to mm. DD. Um, you know it also was probably factoring in a low probability of someone else coming in over the top and also factoring in the time value of money to complete as well. And today, mate, that share price, like you said, is now above the three dollar mark. So clearly, one of those assumptions is no longer holding, and it's the second one, right? Yeah, Probably very, someone else coming very, in over the top. Very much so. Um, both the AFR and the Australian are, you know, alluding to the fact that this could be Gina Reinhardt um, buying parcels of, of Lion Town shares via no, Euros. No, um, there was, it was pure speculation that it's Gina. There was nothing really pointing it uh, towards no, it's Hancock. Not, it's not it confirmed was, yet. Yeah, yeah. These, are, these, are, these, are, these are rumours that are floating around in, in both of the major publications there, mm. um, but, yeah, unverifiable at this stage. Um, I think the the first question that we have to, like you know, speculate over is: Is this Gina? <laughs> do, do we think it's Gina? I did. Let's let's remember the the word on the decline I pumped out not long ago <laughs> that the line town was going to be a JV between Gina and Albemarle. I think there could be some merit to that, but I'll, and I'll um, I think I'll I'll, I'll get to that, Maddie, because you know you're you're um you could be on the money there in my in my in my eyes, um. My gut feel is it, yeah, it probably probably sounds like this could be Jenna. When I say Jenna, I'm talking inclusively about her, her entity, Hancock, which um, this is, you know could potentially be through, and she does mm -hmm. a lot of her mining stuff via. Um, you know, the Australian is su suggesting that uh, she had a beneficial ownership of just less than 5% of the company, so not popping up as a substantial holder, but um, sitting there on the register. Um, you know, if you think of it, think it through, it's not like she has any strategic assets in the area to pair it with. So, you know, like what's the what's the angle here, right? I suppose the only the closest one was that was it the J V interest with Hawthorne Legacy yeah. That thing, which yeah. is what two hundred and sixty Ks away. It's quite far away. But there's no it. infrastructure so, there. Yeah. Or nothing, anything like there's that. Nothing close. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um so like it, I guess it just if it's not Gina, it poses the question who who else, right? So all these rumors floating about, um, presumably the rumors come from somewhere, hopefully. Um, but, um, you know, if it's not Gina, who else is there? And I think I struggle to build a case of, of, of who else is, is willing to sort of, you know, compete in this sort of way and, um, you know, to, at what Albemarle call, call a full valuation as well. So, you know, I'd, I'd probably, you know, lean towards the, the running theory that it, it is Gina. But it then poses the question, what is her ambition? in all of this, right? Because there's there's several different reasons why you might want to get tangled up in a in the middle of a live deal and it's not always that you want to own the company outright. You've got me real excited <laughs> now, Trav. Yeah. Are do you, you alluding to the JV side of things? I think that's one potential thing. But, but like, is, do you this remember the way you, is this the way you'd go about it? But like, wouldn't, would the JV be part of the initial takeover bid with Albemarle if that oh, was the plan or the I fact that they're separate? Well, what if – I don't know. I've got no 
idea on what any prior conversations were, but imagine if there were conversations and then Albemarle put a bit in standalone, how do you try to force an outcome, right? Yeah. Maybe you maybe you then be aggressive on market. Um, I, the other thing I was thinking of, do you, do you remember our conversation that we had with uh, Joel Turco and Luca Giacavazzi of Wailu? I do very well. Yeah, do you, do you remember that we were talking about um, the deal where IGO took over Western Aries and, um, you know, after after Western Aries was subject to a takeover offer from IGO, Wailu came in and actually was started buying shares on market above the takeover offer price. And the reason that they were doing that, they were building up their stake, which gave them a bit more negotiating leverage, um, which ended up resulting in an uplift in the offer to, to remaining shareholders that hadn't yet accepted. But it also, born out of that, they also got a... Um, not, not just an uplift in, in you know, the, the price, but they also got, it was an agreement to agree to a downstream JV. It's a pseudo collateral benefit in my mind. Collateral benefits are legal, you know, that I have them, but it's a sort of like so an, an empty a, box a, agreement. A, a yeah. collateral benefit, Trav, yeah. in, in Matt terms, which means dumbed, <laughs> well, bright, <laughs> fucking down is, um, <laughs> we can't, is, call is it you can't, you can't do a yeah. deal that's going to benefit you in another aspect. It's sort of like you, like you, Shareholders can't be separated into different classes, so you can't you can't treat like your, your shareholders in different classes. Like, oh, they get special bloody preferential treatment just because it's Wailu have a blocking stake or whatever it is, right? So yeah. um, you, you can't like that's just yeah not, not not allowed. But you what they you know the way that they kind of got um, an outcome that might have been desirable and might lead to something you know um, beneficial in the long run if they do the downstream stuff together um, is by just having an agreement to agree which is quite fascinating. So it poses the question, I think, um, could could that be the playbook here by Gina? If this is Gina, does she, does she actually want to find a partner in all of this? Um, so a partner more for downstream, like looking far into the... Yeah, this, yeah. if she wants to enter the lithium arena, then um, like, you know, obviously you, you got to have like, you know, her expertise is, is hard rock mining, um, logistics, that sort of stuff. But there's also like there's a lot in the lithium value chain and, yeah. um, and uh, you know, min, min res and um, Albemarle's sort of, you know, partnership has, you know, clearly materially changed uh, in recent history. Does that open the door for Albemarle to have a different partner um, and maybe maybe someone mm. new in the, in the arena in, from a hard rock perspective? And maybe that could be the ultimate angle yeah. here. Do you, do you think if though, look, not saying it's out of the realm of possibility, but if Albemarle were looking at a, at a partner to go take Kathleen Valley with them, do you think you'd pick, obviously you'd pick someone with money, do you think you'd pick one of the newer open pit companies to go and be your partner for an underground operation or do you reckon it's irrelevant? Um. I, I I should be asking you that question, Maddie, because I'm. Well, <laughs> um, it, it's, I'll say it is yeah. probably no, it's no different to Wailu taking over Mincor. Yeah. All the Mincor people have now put a Wailu shirt on. Yeah. Um, it would be the same, whatever the the what would you call it, Albacock or something. Uh, that JV, what that JV would just all the current Line Town is now fully manned up mm. to run that operation yeah. as if they were running the operation. Yeah. So you would just. You just transfer shirts over. Yeah. It's just one mine. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's too. I wouldn't say it is too much of a. Yeah, an all, issue. all the contractors have pretty much been. Yeah, the, con- the contractors sort of blow the rock up. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I don't. But uh, yeah, in they've obviously got no 
do you think Lions uh, Albemarle would put in that much coin and JV with a company that has no lithium experience mm. and on a very critical operation? Yeah. The the, the other um, interesting – like so, so Albemarle's bid is, is best and final – um, you know, subject to no higher competing offer. So yep. in order to warrant an uplift in price from here, from Albemarle, it would actually require a takeover offer put on the table by Gina or whoever this buying party oh, is at a higher price. It, the, these trades, these large trades crossed at $3 exactly, which is the same as the offer price. So interpreting what the intention is from that is a little bit tricky still. Mm. Yeah, pending. Um yeah, I wonder. We need to find who bloody trades a big through euros. <laughs> maybe it's uh, maybe crew. Min Res couldn't. They didn't go through Bell Potter because it would have been too well, obvious. The more you publicise who these parties use, Maddie, I think the more they can actually start using other people. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's what I mean. Uh, there you go. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, mm. Stay tuned. It's heating up, right, boys? Uh, Samfire, Samfire. My uh, oh god, I still um. Hold them dear to my heart working at the DeGrasse mine for three and a half years. Great place. Fucked up. Three and a half years. Three and a half years there. there. I'm sure they regretted it. But um, <laughs> you, you left a lot of copper in the ground. Yeah, no, I did. Nah, just in one spot. But it's just so funny looking at the production physicals that you're about to read out and copper and output and how big of these operations are. It just shows how much copper they produced at DeGrasse because of the because of the grade, 1.6 million ton plant produced 65,000 tons of copper per annum. Yeah, I mean, it'd be and interesting to put that into perspective. We're going to give it a bit of an update. And the reason this sort of came about is that they awarded a contract at Mateo, their Botswana assets. So it's been a little while since we've spoken about, we spoke about it probably three months ago now, Maddie. And, you know, they're, they're the biggest copper focused company on the ASX now that Oz got gobbled up. But you know, BHB still produces way, way, way more copper than than Sandfire does. So the, the contract that I referenced just before was a US $235 million contract for surface mining. So it was awarded to African Mining Services, which is the subsidiary of Parenti. So it's for work at A4, which is one of the open pits at, um, at Mateo, like I just said, which is in the Kalahari Copper Belt in sunny Botswana. So they've also got the T3 open pit, which sits eight kilometres away. It was one detail which was interesting and a bit ridiculous. They said it's a 73-month term. Who the hell knows what that actually means? It's six years and one month, so <laughs> for whatever reason they, they write it out like that. But Might be a year, a month of ramp up. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. let's give a bit of an update and scope on what's going on at, at Sandfire. They're, they're at this inflection point, which we discussed last time, Matty, when we spoke about them. Like you just said, the 2010s was all about DeGrusa. That was... The dominant, it was the only asset. It was just dominating. It was a hell of a discovery, you know, oh, a real high, company high maker. Grade, just ripping. Exactly. But ripping. the next 10 years, it's just going to be different. The Gruce has come all the mm. way off, you know, it's all done. They've got new leadership. Brendan Harris has come in from South 32. And different kind of assets, right? Because like high grade is kind of forgiving, mm. but these these assets now, they sort of require real optimization. To, yep. To and, 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 to, and just remember, like, for that 10 years, they were running. De Grusa, they were fucking looking for copper everywhere, <laughs> drilling the fuck out of around there, looking globally for copper. Yeah. They had the Black Butte project in Montana. Yep, they still, do. still got it. Just like, but that was going on for ages and then obviously yeah. the permitting didn't happen for them. But So the beautiful difference with that is they discovered it. Matsa, yeah. they did multiple dilutive big equity raises. They raised a lot of debt. 
And then you've got... Oh, they, they did the, the giant equity raise, which is um, enormous relative to their market cap at the time plus, plus the, plus the, the yeah. debt piece. And then within 12 months, they had to do yeah. another equity raise in order to reduce the balance sheet stress. Well, just exactly. as DeGrusa was yeah. going into production when I was there, the Samfire share price got up to near $10. Mm. So that's that's all the way back then. So now it's yeah. at six. So if, yeah. for all yeah. the shareholders that didn't participate in those raises, they're still no. in the red. So you you mentioned sixty five thousand tons per annum. Going forward, FY twenty four, they're looking at fifty eight thousand tons per annum from Matza, thirty nine thousand yeah. tons from Matteo, respectively. So a bit under a hundred total. And then you got zinc chipping in a bit that comes from Matza. So that on FY23 numbers made up about 20% of the value of metal produced across Sandfire as a business. So, yeah, I mean, like we said, it's just been, that was a transformative acquisition for Matza, not in a necessarily positive or negative light. It just really changed the scope of the business. And then you've got Matteo, which is in ramp up. They had the official opening of the mine just one month ago. They're ramping up to 3.2 million tonnes per annum. And they've already greenlit a scale up to 5.2 million tonnes per annum, which they'll hit in FY25. And that'll mean they're producing a bit over 50,000 tonnes per annum of copper from that asset. Mm -hmm. So you'd think hearing all that, they've got their work cut out for them, right? But then you keep hearing this rumour about Comacau. And what's Comacau? That is the neighbouring asset in Botswana that is currently up for sale. So it's private equity owned, mm -hmm. uh, uh, between two different private equity groups, so 88.1% with Cooperate Canyon, which has ultimately come out of a Barclays group, the, the English Bank's uh, private equity natural resource group, and then Resource Capital Funds, also uh, RCF, yeah, RCF funds, known, yeah. known well in WA, and they've got a yeah. headquarters all around, uh, they've got offices all around the world. So yeah, private, the, private equity, eh? Yeah. They have one objective, get as much fucking money for it as possible. <laughs> <laughs> or buy low, sell high. So that's yeah. goal. And, and, and this one's got a fascinating history to that point, oh, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. So it's a, a fascinating story. It was actually held by Discovery Metals, an ASX-listed play in the early 2010s, and they hit some hard times. They went out of business, and then it was scooped up by this this sort of joint venture, if you will, from private equity groups in 2015. Numbers reported around 35 million, although it wasn't the finished article. So, you know, they had to put money in to finalise it. It's only just started churning out copper somewhat recently. So that's a story for another day. But Comacau right now is looking at 60,000 tonnes per annum and 1.6 million ounces of silver per annum for 20 years. So, you know, obviously we're not talking about costs there, but they're, they're pretty big numbers that would attract um, decent sized buyers. So there's been rumors that Sandfire were interested given the proximity to their existing asset, as well as more rumors about a potential JV with South 32. And you got the link with Brendan Harris, the, the new mm. boss coming from South 32. Although Reuters and the Australian did say both in the last week that they are out of the running there. So Cheap, cheap way to get, instead of hiring a M and ABD, you just don't pay one of your execs the wage and then they go work for the other company to get you in. <laughs> Very cost effective if, <laughs> for a South 32. Your words, not mine, mate. <laughs> so it made me think of the, the conversation we had with Warren Gilman just yesterday, oh, right? The interview. Buddy, everything's fascinating is my new favourite word. <laughs> that was a ripper, by the way. It go was back and have a listen, everyone. And what I'm specifically refer referencing there is that he said, you know, copper's attractive. Every fundy in the in the natural resource world is attracted to copper at the moment. 
but it doesn't mean the prices of these assets are attractive. And that was the, the sort of problem he was having with investing in copper. Mm. There's one more quirk around equity research. It sort of came up when I was doing a bit of <laughs> analysis around Sandfire today. That it's I think a gripe. It's, He's got a gripe. I think it's worth discussing. So a lot of people read these equity research reports and you naturally look straight at the price target. And then you go a bit deep and you see how did they come up with the valuation behind the price target? And in some cases, and I'm talking specifically about mining businesses here, in some cases you'll see they've done a 50-50 combination of NAV, net asset value, and an EV to EBITDA multiple mix. So 50% blend comes from, exactly, from your net asset value, the other 50% of the valuation from yeah. that multiple. So tell me, why, why is this in your mind a bit of a, bit of a, a fallacious way to value a, a mining company? There's, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. What I want to tell listeners to pay attention to is the multiple that they use in that EV to EBITDA multiple. And I mean, to start with, see if there is any reasoning provided as to where that number has come from, or if it's just plucked out of thin air. And it's just, you know, it's not the the be all and end all. It's just a flag to look under the hood, look a bit deeper into the analysis. So I'll give a hypothetical example. Say you're, you're the analyst and you do your net asset value analysis and you come up with an eight buck per share value for the for the business. And then you do your EV to EBITDA multiple and you choose a multiple that gets you to a number of 12 bucks per share. And you do this because say the share price is hovering around $10 a share and you don't want to annoy the company because they are a potential client. So you do that, you get 50 from the one, the net asset value, that's four bucks. The other 50% of the valuation comes from the multiple, that's six bucks. And there you go, you've got a 10 buck valuation, just in line <laughs> with what buck. the- 12 bucks, eight and four, was it? Four and six. Oh, four yeah. and six, sorry, yeah. yeah. And that gives you a 10 buck valuation hovering nicely around where the share price <laughs> is today. And that looks much better to the prospective company out there, the mining company, rather than you coming out with a valuation of 20% below whatever the share price is on that given day. And there you go, your bank, your employer is happy, the potential client isn't pissed off, and you as the analyst don't get blacklisted <laughs> from any you know, yeah. conversation with, with yeah. the company. So just something to look out for. If you're reading these reports, don't always take the price at face value look underneath it, look how they've done the valuation, look yeah. at the assumptions and all these things, just something to bear in mind. Yeah, I would I, I'd add on that. I, I just, I think mining company. if you're talking about mining companies, um, I'm not a fan of ever using multiples to value a mining company that has a series of cash flows because those cash flows have a mine life and then they run out. A multiple is a way of, um, look like a multiple is a suitable, and not, not a perfect, but a suitable valuation metric when your cash flows don't have an end date. These are finite mine lifes. And if you look at industry standard multiples, that doesn't adjust for variance in your PSS mine lifes. The, the, the purest way to do it is, yeah, model those cash flows, discount at a reasonable discount rate. And if it's in development, maybe you risk adjust those cash flows for the probability that they actually come to fruition. Agreed, Matt. So Which, is this price target, price target weighted on from a higher multiple on the EV EBITDA. Is that where you're going yeah. here? Yeah. Yeah. The, exactly. Okay. exactly. T t you will never, oh, well, I won't say never, but you will rarely ever see a mining company which has a price target derived from a blend of um, of ECF and 
EV EBITDA multiple, you'll rarely ever see the EV EBITDA as the the um the lower of yeah. the two. That is that is a key Drivers. key dot point which I forgot to read out. <laughs> but you look at it and you'll see the the fifty percent contributed by the net asset value analysis, or in most cases be less than the the dollar value contributed by the multiple analysis. And the net asset value is that just the the book value of all the operations. It's and a everything. DCF, so DCF oh, of the, all the operations. And yeah, net NPV asset that. value is the bloody that's some the of cash the parts. Flows and some of the parts, yeah. So all of your operations plus and you make an adjustment for the capital structure as well. So you know, cash, etc. Like okay, that so this is the money coming in the door. Yeah, yeah. Yep, cash flows plus like you know existing cash. You got to chuck those, some of yep. the parts, add them all up. And it's in those tables at the bottom of the broker reports. Yep. Um, and they, they'll call it NAV, and then they'll call it NAV per share. So do some uh, valuations get done a hundred percent weighted by the Nav? Yep. Yeah. Most do. Yep. Some don't. There's a bunch of other, um, yeah, tools that sometimes are used to back solve a target price, which is higher than the current price, including expiration upside, but we'll save that for another day. And so, <laughs> and the, is the reason they've done it this way is because uh, CMFI is still in, it's in a ramp up phase with their operations? No, it's, oh, I would wager it's just like, that's still not appropriate. It's like, it. it's, I would bet the instances you see this, it's done because the nav per share is lower than the current price and you can't have you can't keep a buy on something if you you know, your target price is lower than um right. We're all on the price. same page yeah. now. I'm up to date with yeah. this. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the one oh one boys. No worries, mate. Jeez, no. JD, you're not gonna fucking turn into Trav, are you? Because we can't have two years in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, be, about, I'll be more leveled for the rest of it. <laughs> Should we talk about some uranium news? Right, get into the yellow cake. What's doing? So uranium flavour of the month commodity, I'd say. The uh the spot uranium price has been ticking up twenty five percent year to date. So it's at US $60 a pound now, which is getting on, you know, definitely local highs. So the uh, the price movement, we did a, a deep dive on uranium not too long ago, and it can be sort of attributed to many structural drivers and you've got other geopolitical developments out there. So on the demand side, you've got, as we've fleshed out in the past, you've got these decarbonisation efforts, you've got the resurgence of countries around the world building new reactors. And then on the supply side, you've got global uranium inventories being depleted as, you know, the demand outstrips the mm. supply. You've got, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got these physical uranium trusts coming into the market, playing a little role. You've got disruptions to supply. You've got the, the coup in Niger. They were a, um, a producer of uranium. You've got what's going on um, with the war in Ukraine and Russia as well. So a, a number of different factors. There was mm. also a, an announcement from Cameco. This is the big one, right? Yeah, one of the world's biggest um, uranium players. They have experienced challenges at Cigar Lake and the Key Lake Mill, which is in Saskatchewan up in Canada. And that's going to obviously impact their 2023 production forecast. So all of this is a bit of a good excuse and a timely excuse to speak about a couple of plays in Australia, a couple yeah. ASX listed plays. So Nothing got, gets the uranium bulls excited like, oh, supply is getting constrained. It's finally <laughs> here. It is here. And then you've, of course, yeah. got, to, got to talk about why it's relevant, some ASX listed guys. So we're going to speak about Boss Energy and Peninsula. And yeah. I know we've definitely spoken about Peninsula not but, too long ago. Yeah. Boss yeah. and we I did think, mention I think, Trav, in the, I think Trav's spoken about Boss. Yeah. We, yeah. we did speak about them in the big uranium episode yeah. we did. Yeah. So talked about them both. Yeah. They've had, you know, very um varying performance over the 
past year. Boss up 97% year to date. Mm. On the other hand, you've got Peninsula down 32% year to date. Which is fascinating because um, like these two companies were, you know, on track to be um, producing Yellowcake at about a similar point in time. And mm. you'd expect if they're two developers on track to produce at a similar time, then in a rising uranium market, they're both going to be leverage to the uh to those you know price price effects and that's similar been the case. yeah that similar point in time was very soon boss are expecting to be producing from honeymoon which is a, a restart project in south australia this quarter and yeah i mean we'll talk a bit more about peninsula but things haven't gone quite as well there yeah i think the um like let's start with boss they're um you know like you said counting down the days right and um, 1.4 billion market cap now yeah, yeah, and that's the, the. I think that's the interesting thing to talk about. I mean, like you know, obviously their um, their you know announcement of, of production sort of ha- ha- hasn't come um, just yet, but everyone will be watching close attention to it. And quite often you see um, you know developers who are right on the cusp. They sort of they have this um, very you know everyone gets quite excited waiting for production. And one point four billion dollar valuation um, really really intrigues me just because of um, I still remember the the EFS study which came out in June 2021 which um, put forward an NPV for the um, for the for the honeymoon project there which which is sort of ballparks away from um, the current market cap and and I guess the the open-ended question I'm sort of going to put put out to the money miners is um is just in relation to reconciling those two right so I'm flashing up on screen now this is a, a screenshot from the EFS study um, for for that project, and they run the study. I've highlighted two spot prices for uranium here. Uh, the first is the uh, sixty dollar per pound, which is the current spot price, right? NPV of uh, in, in Aussie dollars three hundred thirty eight million. It's very different to one point four billion market cap. And then an eighty dollars, so twenty dollars higher US, um, you get five hundred eighty eight million Aussie NPV. So. I, I I see that and I'm, I see the discrepancy. I'm like, okay, so what's what? The question I have is, what is the market factoring into the valuation of Boss that the, the NPV back then didn't? Um, and a few a few things come to mind that the market must be sort of you know pricing in there that's not captured. Uh, the the first one is just the fact that you know all the capex is basically spent. So if you think of like um, the trailing NPV as a project goes into development. The NPV you see in a study is um, before the capex is spent. After that capex is spent, you know your NPV is actually actually higher. And then um, so so they're, they're benefiting from the fact that about 100 that's a hundred million buck impact there. Uh, the second one is the fact that you know throw into their market um, cap is factoring the some of the parts of the other components like their existing cash plus they've also got some physical inventory on they hand do. as well. Like yeah. they call it strategic stockpiles. Add them two together, and you can round that upwards to, to two hundred million bucks to, to be clean. Um, and then I think there's some some harder things to quantify that are clearly being factored into that price of boss today. Um, I'm going to struggle to actually allocate you know a number to them, but they they clearly there. And those are things like the resource upside, um, mine life extension and expansion, and even just the option value. Um, Associated with the potential parabolic rise in uranium price, because in in you know even if you have brief heightened um, parabolic prices, you make super profits in those periods. So maybe some of that option value is sort of baked in because they'll be producing at the right time and there's all this excitement. Um, so uh, those are the, the three things that I can think of. I'm still really curious about it, and maybe maybe someone a bit more um, you know cl- clever than me can um, can put together some other factors too that might be part of that that reason. Um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And then. 
On the other hand, to Boston, you've got Peninsula Energy. So they've got the the Lance project, which they're restarting up in Wyoming, USA. So it's an in-situ recovery, a bit of a different style of project. And they had, uh, like a, a, by all accounts, a pretty poor announcement a couple months ago now. So it was the termination of the toll processing agreement with Uranium Energy Corp. So that put them in quite a quite a difficult spot. Prior to the, the termination of that agreement, they had you know, they're about to enter stage one of that Lance project. Yeah, and all, all of the, the messaging that you know, Peninsula had, had been putting to the market is that they would be producing mid-2023. Um, you know, production was expected to be, well, it's, not, it's not big production, right, but it's expected to ramp up to 0.8 million pounds per annum before moving to, to stage two. Stage two required um, the back end of the plant. Um, but uh, as, as we found out at, when they entered a trading halt on the on July the seventeenth. They came out with the news that UEC had terminated that agreement to toll, and hence the company had to sort of pivot in strategy um, and accelerate, you know, building their own back end of the plant, um, which is like a resin processing part part of that facility that they had to build now have to build at Lance. So all of a sudden they weren't weren't going to get that revenue in mid twenty twenty three, but yeah. on the on the flip side, you know, complete reversal. They're going to have to spend money to add more to their to their plant. So it, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's a complete 180 to where things were going. And to add salt into the wounds for them, it's not just the fact that they've got to now spend more money to build that plant. It's also the fact that they'd entered, you know, they'd, they'd entered into contracts to supply physical, which, um, you know, it, it, it have to be delivered well this year unless they're renegotiated and tweaked. And so kind of just add salt into the, the wounds and that's why you see, you know, this stock come yeah. off quite substantially in, in the aftermath. Yeah, and that just compounds it even more because if you need to raise capital, once the, the share price has come off, you're obviously doing that at a much more dilutive clip. Yeah, and, and to that point specifically, like in their new Life of Mind plan, which um, uh, potentially put out to the market recently, they flag the fact that they're going to need another US $53 million to uh, reach first production with a further US $17 million to to full production rates um, subsequent to that. So at at 30th of June, they had uh, $21.5 million US uh, cash and then some, some inventory there as well. So they do have some flexibility with those contracts given they've got some physical to, to, to use to deliver. Um, but but nonetheless, you know, there's there's still that, I think, open-ended question about um, like, yeah, how, how are they going to fund that? Market cap's lower now. So, um, you know, even the equity piece might not be as straightforward. Um, so kind of, you know, getting getting enough capital to, to build it and also re- restructuring those uh, contracts is sort of a, a big priority, but but hopefully they can get there and reap the benefit of this um, this elevated uranium market and um, shareholders can be beneficiaries in the process. That's it. Tough spot to be in. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, boys. I loved um, – I didn't have to contribute anything there, so great stuff. Good work on the research. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering what you were doing all, Harvey. <laughs> thank, thanks for your patience all day, Matty. Yeah, yeah sorry, just woke me up. <laughs> right, boys, yeah. thanks to all the partners as always. JP Search, K-Drill, Top Drill, Anytime Expiration and Terra Capital. God, I'm getting quick at rolling them off and we've got a special one coming next week. Dude, thanks a bunch, Stay guys. Stay pumped for a Saturday morning drop. For Mr. Joe Lowry. Mr. Lithium. Everything lithium. It's a ripper. Saturday morning. Stay tuned. Hooteroo. Hooteroo, money miners.
The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.